Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Which reminds us the parable that the Lord Jesus spoke in Luke 2014, Luke 2014. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir, come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. All right, now, they got a plan. And their plan was to kill him and then cast him into some pit. There were a lot of pits there. Pits of the cisterns, they dug those pits. The shepherds dug those pits. They were deep, they were wide, and they had a narrow opening at the top preventing evaporation. And then they put a stone to cover the opening. So during the rainy seasons, the cisterns would fill up with water. And during the dry seasons, the shepherds could use the water to to water the flocks. But... For a good amount of time, those pits had no water in them. We don't, we don't know what they had in them. Probably slime and scorpions and snakes. I don't know. But now, like all plans that are based on lies, they were not thinking, <laughs> you know, because you, you, they don't want to think very far because someone, sometime, is going to notice a smell, right? <laughs> or someone, sometime, is going to see a skeleton, and news of that is going to spread, possibly reach back to Jacob. I mean, that reminds me of the boy whose father planted a watermelon patch, and his father told him not to eat any of the watermelons. And the boy was had his eye on one watermelon, and when it just ripened and no one was watching, he, he went there, broke that watermelon open, ate it, so sweet, and then he buried all the remains. He said, okay, now fine, I just I got away with it until that area where he buried it started to sprout watermelons. <laughs> so the boy experienced and the brothers experienced what's written in Galatians 6-7. Galatians 6-7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, we see that they really were worried that his dreams might come true because of what they said in verse 20. We shall see what shall become of his dreams. See, they went back to the content of his dreams. They thought, you know, we can stop the dreams from coming true by killing. See, that's just like Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Psalm 2, verse 1, where, where God asked this question. Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. That's determination. And the rulers take counsel together, saying, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. See, the kings of the earth and the people imagine that they can free themselves from God's power and authority. They hated the message so much that they thought that they could destroy the message by destroying the messenger. And the brothers hated the dream so much 
that they thought they could destroy the dreams by destroying the dreamer. People hate the message of the Bible so much that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun that they think that they can destroy the message by destroying the preachers, the messengers. And the reality is they can destroy the dreamer, but they cannot destroy the dreams. They can destroy the messengers, but they can't destroy the message. People can kill the preacher, but they can't kill the message of the preacher. All right, now it's interesting. In, in verse 20, they decide on their, you know, this is our story, we're going to stick with it, the routine, when they said, with these, with these famous words, we will say. You know, we will say. You know, we will say. It's a total fabrication of a lie. But these words, let us, we, you know, we can see a real effort to get everybody on board and together. There can't be any weak links in this chain. There can't be any weak points in their united front of these lies. So with everyone in agreement, it just looked rock solid. It looked watertight. There's just one problem. Just one problem. And the problem is stated in Proverbs 11:21. Proverbs 11:21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. And that's exactly what happened here. I mean, their problem was just simply God. That's all. He's not mentioned anywhere in the chapter, but he's still their problem. Because God said that even though they had all their hands joined together, God's hand was not in their hands. Isn't it interesting how sin always goes this direction in the sense that it blames someone else? You know? It all started with Adam in, in, in Genesis 3.12. Genesis 3.12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to, you know, to be with me. Oh, well, she gave me. You gave. She gave. And I did eat. Adam blamed Eve. And he blamed God. But Adam didn't blame himself. Sin always looks for someone else to blame and does not take responsibility. And who are they going to blame here? Some evil beast. <laughs> Some evil beast. The evil beast was really to blame for what happened to Joseph, don't you know? <laughs> and you always know a person is saved when they stop blaming others and when they blame themselves. And that's what will happen when these brothers finally come to blame themselves and not some evil beast for what happened to Joseph. And this is going to happen. This is so exciting. This is going to happen when we come to Genesis 42. 21, Genesis 42, 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, begged for his life, and we would not hear. Therefore, it's just this distress come upon us. See, that's when the brothers are finally going to be saved from their sins when they come to say, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and not some evil beast, but just we alone are guilty. This contrast of putting the blame for their sin on someone else with the, we will say in verse 20, some evil beast hath devoured him. And their statement in Genesis 42, 21, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. It marks out for us the essential difference between a person who turns and runs from God in his salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and the person who turns to God and reaches out to God for mercy and salvation. You know, these two verses here, this contrast here, this verse 20 that we're looking at in the Genesis 42, 21, 42, 21, it shows us the same difference 
between the man who was justified before God and the man who was not justified before God in Luke 18. Luke 18.10, Luke 18.10, where it says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's interesting. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men who are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth, humbleth himself shall be exalted. See, in verse 20, by seeing the brothers, it's going to look at the brothers like the Pharisee now. And we can imagine that they could have prayed to themselves, you know, God, I thank thee that I am not as some evil beast who tore apart my dear brother Joseph. It was, I was so nice to him when we were with it together at home. Right, that's one. But in verse 21, in Genesis 42, 21, Genesis 42, 21, after the brothers had humbled themselves, those same brothers became like the publican. And we can imagine them standing afar off, not so much as lifting up their eyes into heaven, but smiting upon their breasts and saying, God, be merciful to us sinners. So what we learn from these verses in, in, in verse 20 here, when the brothers said, we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, is that Jehovah Jesus died for all the sins of all men. As it says in 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, it's a proof of he is a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And God wants every man to be saved, as it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. And the only reason why any person is not saved from their sins is not because of God. It's only because they're not willing to take responsibility for their sins and go and instead go on in the life-blaming routine of some evil beast has done this, when they are responsible for that. And God's answer is to be saved, stand up and own up, or really it's bow down and own up. And when we look at the brothers in this chapter, in chapter 37, we see clearly what happened to the brothers. I mean, you kind of look at this and you say, how, how, wow, I mean, you never can answer this question. You always come back and say, I don't understand how they did this. How did this really get out to this point? where a brothers, brothers are going to kill a brother. How does that happen? Envy. Jealousy. Jealousy. It was their jealousy of Joseph that led them to slander Joseph by saying in verse 19, this dreamer cometh. It was their jealousy of Joseph that led them to the crime of verse 20, let us slay him. It was their jealousy of Joseph that led them to lie. In verse 20, we will say, some evil beast has devour him. It was their jealousy of Joseph that led them to harden their heart. As we're gonna see in verse 25, after they threw him into the pit, they sat down to eat bread. Wonder if they said grace. <laughs> I don't think so. So what we see in this chapter is what jealousy causes the, caused the brothers to do. And that should put us on our guards. 
When jealousy springs up in our heart, because if we allow that, if we allow ourselves to become jealous, it will lead us, as it did them, to slander, to do wrong, to lie, and to become hard-hearted. So, in, in this chapter, we can see jealousy is very dangerous for us. Now, all this conversation between the brothers of their slander, and they're stoking up the fires of hatred, and they're kind of putting together this plan and the cover-up, are all happening so rapidly. I mean, it's kind of incredible. How could all this happen? He's probably running to them now. So it's all happening very quickly. And in the next two verses, we see something very surprising. It seems that all this is happening with maybe some of the brothers' conversation, but that Reuben wasn't talking. And it says he overheard, Reuben overheard all this planning of the murder and the cover-up because it says in verse 21, and Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. This is totally unexpected. This is totally unexpected. You could say that, of all people, Reuben had the most reason to be against Joseph because it was Reuben who was going to lose to Joseph his birthright, says the firstborn. But here we see Reuben turns out to be Joseph's only friend, his best friend. Reuben turns out to be his best friend, his only friend. I mean, God raised up a very important, a vital friend for Joseph out of Joseph's enemies. And that teaches us that God can raise up friends for us among our enemies. And that's what it says in Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You know, when that verse speaks about a heart being in the hands of the Lord, it shows us that all hearts are in the hands of the Lord. I, I remember one time I was watching on, on PBS at Nova uh, thing about medical school, and I remember seeing a heart surgery on this program where a patient's heart had stopped beating, and the cardiologist had the patient's heart in his hand. It was very disturbing. He had his hand, he had, he had the patient's heart in his hand. And he was doing this. He was beating for the patient. He was squeezing the heart to pump blood. That was so dramatic to see the patient's heart in the hand of the cardiologist. Well, all hearts are in the hands of the Lord. And what we see with Reuben in verse 21 is that the heart of Reuben was in the hand of the Lord. And then it says in Proverbs 16:7, Proverbs 16:7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And what we see in verse 21 with Reuben is that when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be his friends. So Reuben becomes Joseph's best friend, his only friend, and Reuben stops the brothers from killing Joseph. That's amazing. Reuben stopped the brothers from killing Joseph. And what we see here with Reuben is how Reuben became merciful. You know, we haven't seen such great things about Reuben, Right? Up to that, we don't. They're so not great. We don't want to repeat them. But here, we see something wonderful here in Reuben. He's merciful, and by looking at Reuben in verse twenty-one, we learn about what it means to become merciful. It's important for us to be merciful because of what the Lord said in Matthew five seven. Matthew five seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So let's see. Let's see what we can learn about mercy from Reuben. What it means to be merciful. First, we see how Reuben became merciful when Reuben broke with the rest of the brothers. 
See, in verse 20, as we've already seen, there was a call for unity with all these words, come now, which means come now, and let's all join in our hearts and our hands to murder Joseph. Verse 20 was a real call for unity with come now, let us slay, we will say, we shall see. And all this come, us, we, that talk was all a call for a large group of unity to kill Joseph. But when Reuben became merciful, Reuben broke with the group. He became the minority. He became the minority of one. As he stood up all alone against all the other murderous brothers. So in order for Reuben to be merciful, he had to stand in the minority. And in the same way, for you and I to become merciful, we have to stand in the minority and break with the majority. To be merciful, you and I have to step out from the majority. Second, we see how Reuben became merciful, and this was personally very dangerous for Reuben. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Reuben is standing up against a murderous mob. Reuben could have thought, you know, I know these brothers of mine. I saw what they, I, I know what, when their fires get stoked, boy, the hatred that they can generate, they're ready to kill. You know, I saw what happened to the Shechemites only four miles away from here. Oh, me getting between them and the one they want to kill? I don't think so. You know, that can be very dangerous for me. Maybe I should just step aside and not endanger myself. But when Reuben became merciful, Reuben didn't think of himself or of his own safety. In order for Reuben to be merciful, Reuben had to not think of himself. And in the same way, for you and I to become merciful, we have to not think of ourselves. We have to not think of our own safety. To be merciful, you and I have to not think of ourselves. And third, we see how Reuben became merciful when he thought about Joseph. He thought about Joseph. Reuben, wasn't, he wasn't thinking about himself, but he was thinking about Joseph. And we can see how Reuben was thinking about Joseph when you look at these words in verse 21. He delivered him. Verse 21, let us not kill him. Verse 22, lay no hand upon him. And you can see how much he was thinking about Joseph in verse 22, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. All these times in verses 21 and 22, this word him is used to refer to Joseph. It shows how much Reuben is thinking about Joseph. When Reuben became merciful, Reuben thought about Joseph. In order for Reuben to be merciful, Reuben had to think about Joseph. In the same way, you and I are going to be merciful when we, have, when we think about others. We don't think about our own safety. We think about their safety. And so what we see in Reuben are three lessons, three important lessons for us of what it means to be merciful. To be merciful we will have to stand in the minority. To be merciful, we'll have to not think of ourselves. To be merciful, we'll have to think of others. As an example, close to home, three of these three characteristics of merciful, think of, an RFL, think of our own fellowship, think of Randy and Adina. Think of Randy and Adina, who've been comfortably living for years, situated as SIM missionaries in Joss, Nigeria. But they've now accepted the call, the call to go to the north of Nigeria, where Boko Haram is in a stronghold, to a more dangerous city called Kano, where in 2013, all the SIM missionaries were told to, to evacuate. They fled the violence. And think of how Randy and Adina, being merciful as they go to Kano, just as Reuben was merciful to Joseph, just as, just as merciful Reuben stepped in to become the minority, to save Joseph, so Randy and Adina became, are becoming merciful to the Nigerians in Kano 
as they step in to become a part of the minority to be the first missionaries to re-enter Kano. And just as merciful Reuben did not think of himself or his own safety when he stepped in to save Joseph, so Ran and Adina became, were becoming merciful to, to the Nigerians in Kano as they do not think of themselves or their own safety as they step into Kano that's a stronghold for Boko Haram. And just as merciful Reuben thought about Joseph as he stepped in to save Joseph, so Randy and Adina become merciful as the Nigerians are facing a far greater danger of going to, going to hell because they don't know Christ. And so the Lord looks at merciful Randy and Adina, willing to be part of the minority, not thinking of themselves, thinking of the others in Nigeria and in Kano, and he says to them the words of Matthew 5, 7, look at them, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the same is true of us. There's no greater mercy that we can show than to proclaim the gospel to the lost. But for you and I to show the gospel mercy, we're going to have to step out and become part of the minority and to not think of ourselves or what others will think of us or the friends that we're going to lose or the reputation that we're going to lose and to think of others and what it means for them to die as lost sinners without salvation. That's why tonight I'm going to be speaking at the Creation Earth History Museum on what hell means for the sinner who dies without the Lord. Now, think of how the Lord Jesus Christ, think of him and how merciful he was when he came to earth to die on the cross. For the Lord to be merciful, he had to enter this world as a minority, all alone, to be the minority. In the Garden of Gethsemane, everyone ran away from him. When he was arrested there, nobody stood with him. He stood as the minority. He was just one. It says that in Mark 14, 50, Mark 14, 50. They all forsook him and fled. During his torture, he stands alone and he states in Psalm 6920, Psalm 6920, reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I look for some to take pity. There was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Why did the Lord stand alone as this minority of one? Because he was determined to be merciful to us. For the Lord to be merciful to us, he had to not think of himself when he came to die for our sins. So clearly in the garden of Gethsemane in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Luke twenty-two forty-two, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. For the Lord to be merciful, he had to think of others. And we see this so clearly after he was beaten, after he was too weak to carry his cross as he walked up the hill to the place of his crucifixion. He turns around to women who are weeping, who are crying, and he's thinking of them. In Luke 23, 28, Luke 23, 28, but Jesus turning unto them said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And when he's on the cross, and he's personally in such great agony we can't imagine, he's not thinking of himself, he's praying for others. In Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted its garments. The Lord was merciful because he was willing to be the minority of one. He was merciful because he was willing to not think of himself. And he was merciful because he was thinking of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord. Thank you for how we see him in the life of Joseph here. And we pray the prayer, oh, to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back. So join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.